0: Part of the Media Ministry of Cornerstone Church, you can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.cornerstone.org, or by subscribing to our podcast. Well, as you're seated this morning, you can open your Bibles to the First Thessalonians, that's in the New Testament, chapter five. We're looking at really at one particular verse there that's going to kind of branch out to several other places. Uh, if you 've been with us last several weeks we 've been talking about discerning truth in a world that is filled with uh, deception, and that 's not trying to be a negative statement it 's just the reality of the world that we live in that as we uh, seek after god 's truth that uh, that there 's a lot of things out there that just get perpetrated and kind of kind of go on that is not truth uh, as far as it doesn 't line up with biblical truth and so this morning we 're going to be looking at first Thessalonians chapter five verse twenty one and uh, basically, this, this admonition from uh, the Lord, this, this call from God to, to test everything. Have you ever been to a carnival? Or In the old days, it was called the fun house. And uh, you would go and they had those funky kind of mirrors that you would walk in front of it and it would distort your image. You know, you'd go in front of those and, and all of a sudden, I mean, you may be six foot six. And all of a sudden you walk in front of one of those and it would make you about three foot three. And it kind of just shrink you down, and you'd, you'd look in, and it was your nose, it was your hair, it was your face. I mean, it, in, in a way, it was you, but it was the distorted you, because they took that mirror and they kind of just waved it, and it made you just look, well, short. Or, or sometimes they had the ones, and you could be, you know, six foot six and 120 pounds, and you'd walk in front of it, and it'd make you look, you know, like you were uh, excessively more than that. We'll just put it that way, and you know, and, and so it would take that picture of you, and it would distort it. And folks, that's what we have going on in the world today. We very much have this, where there's a part of it that's truth. It is your hair, it is your face, it's kind of your nose. It's not like they put another person in behind that mirror that it's somebody else. It's just a distorted view of you. Why? Because they kind of play with the, the prisms and the mirror, and I don't know all the science behind it. But all of a sudden, it's not just a true reflection of you. Well, that's what we see going on in our society, in our culture, and today I want you to tell you from the very beginning, this is not a culture beating type of, you know, time for us to gripe about the culture that we live in. Christ has put us here. He, for such a day as this, God has put us here. He is, by his sovereignty, by his ordination, he's put us here to live in this day and this time, and we are to be salt and light in this world. So this isn't, uh, you know, okay, all you Christians are just mad at the world type thing. No, it's to seek out truth in this world and then see where it doesn't line up with Scripture so that we can just know that freedom that we just sang about. See, that's what Christ, when you boil it all down, you know, folks, it, it comes down to, we're in chains of our past and of our sin. And God loved you and I so much that he sent his own son to free us from that. And we can make that real you know, simple thing and then kind of move on to just the moral issues that are before us, or we can truly see that Christ is the center of the entire Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, it is all about Christ. It is all about God's love. And two things that I've been kind of harping on in the last couple, uh, I'd say four or five weeks, the whole Bible from start to finish tells us essentially two great life truths. The truth about myself and the truth about God. And if you just have the truth about yourself, and you didn't have the good news of the gospel, it would really be kind of bad news, because the Bible tells it like it is. It says, you know, none of us have truly lived the holy life that God wanted us to live. All of us fall short of the glory of God, and, and so that's the truth about ourselves. And if you just stop right there, well, that that's kind of a downer. Who wants to come Sunday after Sunday and hear that that you know that we're just we don't measure up to God? No, the good news of the gospel is that God sent a remedy. He, he sent one to redeem us from that. He, he said, okay, you don't have to stay in those chains. You don't have to be a slave to that life. That, that's what you deserve. That's, that would be justice. And yet I'm going to send one that will take your sins away. And, and I will cast all of your sins upon him. And you'll have this great exchange that Paul talked about where Christ took on our sins and we get his righteousness. Folks, you will never find a better deal than that. You you can look and you can somebody could go down to the mall today and they say, well, we're going to give you this $10,000 car for a dollar. And you're going, man, what a deal. Well, I promise you, even if somebody did that, which I doubt would happen, you're not going to get the deal that God has given us through Christ Jesus to take all of our sins upon his son and impart to us the righteousness, all the rightness of Christ in our lives. And yet we live in this world and there's a lot of distortion out there. There's a lot of, uh, that's why we've been looking for weeks now about how God has called us time and time again to have discernment, to have wisdom, to, to, to have a life of examination. And that's what we find here in 1 Thessalonians. Paul is writing to this church. He loves this church. And he is writing, and this is the end of the first letter that he wrote. He wrote two letters, at least two, that we have recorded here in the Bible. How many of you like bullet points? Do you like just to get to the message? And bullet points. Well, you would love this passage because that's basically what Paul does. He, he just bullet points. In fact, if you ever wanted to memorize some scripture, there's a whole bunch of scripture here that's just two words for a whole verse. You know, he, he tells us there in First Thessalonians chapter five. If you kind of go back in the background, he's answering the question: How do we live while we wait for Christ? See, in the first century, they thought Christ was going to return then. You go ask John, you ask Paul, you ask you know, all those guys. They really thought, okay, Christ died. He rose again. He ascended up. And they really thought that in their lifetime that he was going to come back. Well, it's been 2,000 years, and we're still waiting. And that's why this word is relevant to us. But, but Paul is writing kind of in an answer to the Thessalonians that were going, to, how do we live while we're waiting? Do we just get in a big old holy huddle? Do we uh, go out there and, and just you know, live up life and do whatever we want to? And he responds in this fifth chapter of Thessalonians by giving them, if you want to say these bullet points, he said, here's what you do while you're waiting. And we begin to see there about verse 16, things like rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks and everything. He he, Bullet points, he just kind of puts out there, okay, here's here's how you have a heart and mind that is waiting for the return of Christ. And then we get to verse 21, and look what he says. But test everything, hold fast to what is good. Test everything, put everything to the test, and hold on to what is good. Now, what did he mean by that? Well, if you go up to the previous verse, he basically was saying, you know, uh, back in those days, they did not have the complete Bible that we have today. They didn't have all the scripture, but they did have scripture. They had the Old Testament, and they were already counting as scripture a lot of the writings of uh, God's apostles and his leaders in the New Testament church. And and when we read through the scripture, they they refer to that as scripture. And, And so basically what Paul was saying is, look, I want you to test everything. And in verse 20, he talks about this word of prophecy. In other words, they didn't have it written down, but from time to time, somebody would stand up and say, okay, this is the word of the Lord. He said, I want you to, even when somebody's in church, even when he thinks this is a credible person, and you know their background, he said, I still want you to put it to the test. Test everything, and then hold on to what is good. And then he tells us in the next verse, he says, and abstain, get away from evil. Well, folks, right there, Paul is giving us, as we are waiting for the return of Christ, some marching orders. He said, how do we live? How do we wait? Do we get into big old holy huddle and just sing worship songs all the time? I mean, as wonderful as that would be, it's really not reality because God has also called us to be salt and light. In other words, for us to really make a difference in the world that we're living in. And so how do we do this? How do we make a difference, not just get in this holy huddle? How do we go out there and truly live the Christian life in a world that doesn't always agree with the things of God? Paul says you test everything. You hold on to the things that are good, that line up with Scripture. You abstain. You, you, and in other words, you would flee. You would run away from all the other things. Folks, that is a good word for us today. Now, now Paul wasn't just some phobic person who was fearful of everything that was out there. It wasn't like, you know, Paul was just so afraid that everybody was going to lose their salvation or this, that, and the other. He just said, guys, we live in a world where there's just a whole bunch of lies that are perpetrated as truth, but, but they don't line up with Scripture. But I want you to know that Paul wasn't the only one. It's not just the personality of Paul, because remember, God is the one that's inspired him to write this anyway, and we may say Paul wrote it, but God—it's God's word. He's the one that inspired it. But I want you to know that this morning, that this test everything kind of methodology, this mindset of testing everything, isn't just Paul. John, remember John? He lived to be some would say ninety-six to hundred years old, which was unheard of in those days. Sent to an island just be, you know kind of as a punishment for his testimony, and listen to what Paul—I mean what John said. First John chapter four. Verse 1, he says, Beloved, so he's talking to Christians, he's talking to the body of Christ. He's not just talking to the world, he's he's talking, Beloved, Christians, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they're from God. Now again, these guys aren't phobic as much as they are trying to say that we're cautious, that we are to be cautious in the way that we live. That not everybody out there has for us uh, a good end or a good desire. Remember Solomon from the Old Testament? What what is the one thing that we know about Solomon? What is he kind of famous for? I mean, he did a lot of things, but he's kind of known as one of the smartest or wisest men that ever lived because God said, I will give you a, a," it was not like a genie where you just get a wish. He said, you know, I'll I'll grant what prayer. And, And Solomon prayed that he would have wisdom to lead the people of God. So God gave him this incredible, he said, because you didn't ask for riches or fame or glory. I'm going to give you this wisdom. So we know Solomon from the Old Testament to be this person who truly is wise. And look what he said. Proverbs 14, 15. The simple believes everything. Ever met somebody like that? You know, they just believe everything. I mean, if you tell them, you know, the sky that's falling, they're going, really, when? Where? How do I avoid it? You know, the simple, if, if you don't really kind of test everything, he said, you you're going to fall for everything. If somebody gives you this line, you're going to fall for it. I had a a girl that we went to college with, and she was having trouble getting uh, tires for her car. And we asked her, you know, just go down to the tire shop, and they'll sell you some. She goes, I I just can't find the kind of tires. We're going, you know, why? Well, the guy at the auto place told me that I needed to get the exact same tires that, that I have on the car now. And what he meant by that is the same size. What she thought it meant was the same exact motto, everything. And so she had looked all around, well, three or four layers since she had bought that original car. They didn't have those kind of tires by that brand. And, And so here she was just believing that she had to buy that exact kind of tire. Folks, we would say, well, that's just kind of, you know, a little bit, you know, ignorant, maybe doesn't have full knowledge. But folks, all of us could fall into that category. And so what does the Bible teach us time and time again, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, Solomon or John, Are here, Paul, he says, put everything to a test. The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. The prudent gives thought to his steps. That word thought there is an interesting Old Testament Hebrew word that basically means to put distance, to separate. Now, I really want you to kind of grab hold of this because this will be a key to understanding the fullness of this verse. He said, but the prudent gives thought as the ability to separate and give distance between different concepts, in this case, right and wrong. Would you agree, perhaps, or maybe disagree, but would you agree that, that we live in a world that blurs the line between right and wrong? They don't have a, it's not right and wrong, but they've allowed it to kind of gather together. And we actually live in a world where a lot of times right is called wrong and wrong is called right. But folks, we live in this world and it's, the reason is because we're not discerning, we're not thoughtful and prudent as he uses this word here to give separation between what is right and what is wrong. And so the call for Solomon is, okay, I want you to live a life to where you examine things And you're able to separate and put a line of separation between the things that are right and wrong, good and evil, so that that line doesn't get blurred. Let me give you an example of how we do that sometimes with our kids. When we're teaching our children how to respond to strangers and how to to maybe go to a city park, we, we give them instruction about, okay, everybody who acts friendly isn't necessarily your friend. Have you had that discussion? Carly and I, years ago, with our girls... The phrase back in that day was stranger danger. Have you ever heard that? Okay, if, if somebody comes up to you and, and you don't know who they are, just yell out stranger danger, stranger danger. Well, that's how we taught our kids to kind of respond to that. that not everybody who looks friendly is really a friend. They may be, but they, they may not be. And what we were doing is trying to create a, a line of separation there so that they would use this discernment, so that they would give thought that just because somebody comes up and says, you know, I'll give you some candy, come over here, that that's not, oh, man, candy, candy is good, you know, so I'll go there. No, that use some discernment. Folks, we have practiced this with our children, and what God is telling us through his word here is that we are to practice this in our Christian life. But here's the, the problem. When we live in this world where truly right has been called wrong, wrong has been called right, and and basically the world, the culture that we live in, has, has told the Christians who may want to stand for a rightness or a wrongness, according to God's word, in love, not in hatred or in, in any kind of hatred response, they've said, you know, guys, will you just be tolerant? Will you just be tolerant? If there is a buzzword of the era that you and I live in right now, it is that word tolerant. And so we want to look at that this morning because I really believe that this blurring of the line, if we want to use that term blurring, we're not able to separate right and wrong, and we're not able to really make distinction and use wisdom and discernment. We've allowed these things to be blurred in our lives. And and I would call it even the the glorification of tolerance. We've made tolerance, the culture has made tolerance something to be glorified. Here's the danger, Christian. Because some, oftentimes when tolerance is is asked, and, and if you know if you're not quite with me on this, and you're saying, Bobby, I, you know, I think you need to be more tolerant. Listen, listen all the way through, so that we can really get down to the scripture. So oftentimes when we're trying to defend what the Bible says, we're trying to make a case. Hey, this is why we live. That this is why we do the things that we do. Oftentimes a, a culture will come back, and instead of letting allowing us to kind of have this. A clarification in our hearts and our lives. Not that we're trying to impose it on everybody else, but this is how we live because we're Christ followers and Christ said to live this way. Well, all of a sudden, instead of using a logical type of argument, oftentimes it turns into an emotional one. Well, you're just not tolerant. You're a hater. Yeah. It doesn't take that many brain synapses to come out with that response. You don't have to really be a really smart person to come out and say, well, you're just a hater. I mean, it is really a low level of argument. It is not for the the real studious. And yet that's what we hear continually through our society. Well, if you don't agree with me, you're just a hater. Well, folks, that doesn't line up with Scripture. And so this morning, I I want you to know, are we to be tolerant? Historically speaking, yes. I think Christians should be uh, amazingly tolerant Historically speaking, but but what has happened in our society in the day and age that you and I are existing and especially for for our children and our grandchildren, the whole definition of tolerance has changed. You go back historically and tolerance meant basically, hey, you and I disagree, but I love you, brother. I'm going to respect you, but but we do disagree on this. Anybody ever heard of a man by the name of D.A. Carson? He's an incredible theologian. He is a present-day scholar. He truly is. He's written over 50 books. Uh, An amazing guy because he's one of those guys that's so smart that he's actually able to bring it down to to where I can understand it. And not everybody who's really smart can do that. But D.E. Carson, he's written all these books and he's recently uh, written a book called The um, Intolerance of Tolerance. And and he said, the whole book It's coming from this Christian perspective, a biblical perspective. And he says, guys, basically, this definition of tolerance has changed. The old definition of tolerance was, we disagree, but I still respect you. He said, but disagreement was essential as a part of that. In fact, to be logically correct in that definition, you actually had a disagreement. Uh, our, Our friends over here are big Tennessee fans. Should I have said that before you get out of the building? And and we have some Georgia fans, okay? And and so, but but to 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 be tolerant of a Tennessee Vol fan means okay, I disagree with you. This this is they're not the best team in the world, but I love you, brother. And so you can sit on, you know, you can you can come to my house, but you but I'm not going to cheer for Tennessee, okay? So we can disagree without being, you know, hatred and filled with hate. But folks, that's the old tolerance. That is the, actually the, the definition of tolerance old time. If you just look it up in, in uh, uh, some type of a, a dictionary or something. The new tolerance, as D.A. Carson would say, is that if you disagree with me, you're a hater. It's very simple. You, you disagree, th- then there's no love in you. It has nothing to do with disagreement, and we just decide to be cordial or respect one another. And it takes that logical disagreement and makes it not a moral one, but an emotional one. Here's the danger, Christian. Here's the danger. Many Christians have fallen for that hook, line, and sinker. Because you know the one thing that we don't want to be seen as? Is a hater. I mean, do you really want that? You know, do you want that on your jersey on the back? Hater. You know, do you want to wear that t-shirt? I'm a hater. No, we, we don't like that. We know that hating really isn't even a part of, of something that's part of the Christian life where we are to, to love one another, we're to respect one another. And so the last thing that we really want as Christians, as the body of Christ, representing the greatest lover of all, is, is to be a hater. And yet, here's what's happened. In our desire not to be seen as haters, I'm afraid that sometimes we have actually made tolerance an idol that we've actually made it an idol to be worshipped. Okay, well, let's just kind of dumb down church. Let's just kind of dumb down this. Let's dumb down anything that is kind of going to stick out so that the world would love us. Folks, it breaks my heart because it's not biblical. I get it. The last thing I would want you to do this morning is to leave and go, man, that preacher, I hated him. He's, He's just spewing hatred. That was the last thing that I would want you to leave here thinking that you know there's this mean spirit within me. I want to be known by the spirit of Christ and the love of Christ. And at the same time, the Scripture compels me; it compels me as a Christ follower to stand for the things of Christ. And here's the thing: I can do that without hating. Don't fall for the line that just because you disagree, that you're a hater. That that you won't find that anywhere in the scripture. That's blurred lines, folks. That's blurred lines. But we see it right now, and I hate to even bring this up, but I, I'm going to bring it up just for, for a second because there's no way we can discuss it in fullness, but the whole Kim Davis thing in Kentucky. Well, we see that there. Like you make a stand for the things you believe in. And, and again, it's a very complicated matter because she's an elected official, so it's not it's just as cut and dry, black and white. There, there's a lot of layers there and a lot of involvement. But folks, basically... How do you win that argument? You just make her, you know, make her out to be a hater. This week, erected in her hometown, was a sign put up of those that would oppose her that says this: "Dear Kim Davis, the fact that you can't sell your daughter for three goats and a cow means we've already redefined marriage." I mean, do you get that? hey, if we can't win the argument or if we disagree with you, why don't we just kind of low blow you here and try to, you know, attack your character? Hey, Kim Davis, you're so ancient, you want to go back to this old system of of trading out a a daughter for livestock. Do you think that's really what Kim Davis stands for? See, you, you shift the argument. You're a hater. Folks, The body of Christ, God has called us to be different. Romans twelve two, look that up. Romans twelve two, or you can read it up here on the screen. Here's what Paul said to the Romans. He says, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God, uh, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect." Now I want you to know those two things in that verse. First, he says, God calls us to be transformed. How do we do this? By a renewing of the mind. Something that happens on the inside coming to the outside. The work of God's very spirit in our lives gives us a different way of thinking. I would hope that if you're a Christ follower today, whether you've been walking with Christ for a year, five years, ten years, or uh, twenty, thirty years, I hope that your mind truly has at least started that whole transformation not because, okay, you've got more moral code that you can live by, or you've got more rules to live by. That's not really the heart of the gospel, okay? Certainly where you're to have holy lives. Now, this transformation is to think like Christ. That's what Paul said to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2. He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In a little way, he says, let this mind be in you that now you have in Christ Jesus. Don't just, you know, copy the mind of Christ. You actually, as a believer, theologically, Paul was saying, you have this mind now in you. Start, start responding with that mind. And so we see here that it calls for a renewed mind, an internal change, and not just an external one. But secondly, it says to do it by testing, that you'll be able to see the things that are important to God, those things that are eternal to those things that are temporal. So that's the last part of that, discern what the will of God is, what is good and what is acceptable, what is perfect. And all of a sudden, God gives us this mind as we try to to get these blurred lines and we start to get lines of separation. Okay, this is the things that are eternal. These are the things that are going to pass away. And even we as Christians, as Christ followers, can blur those lines. I probably did it, what, 100 times last week? Did you blur those lines many times last week? Kind of confuse the temporal with the eternal? And so this call is here for us to, to, to more and more be changed by what God is doing in our lives. And so that brings us to the $64,000 question. Was Christ tolerant? Was Jesus Christ, would he in today's culture be considered tolerant? Now I do want to ask Uh, a little bit of permission and forgiveness for using this picture because, folks, this is what's known around culture right now as the buddy Christ. You know, hey, just the the Christ that is your buddy. Folks, I didn't need a buddy. I needed a Savior. And and, and this is a mockery of Christ. And I use it only because this is kind of what's out there a lot of times. Is okay, you know, do you need a life coach? No, I need a savior. I can go to other wise people and get some life coaching. I needed a savior, and so this Jesus that is being made out today—you know—does it line up with the biblical Jesus? Was Jesus tolerant? Well, that's kind of hard to answer. Not because we don't know a lot about Christ, but it's because it it depends on what what definition of tolerant are you going to use. Tolerant, if you start using a definition that is a moving target, how hard is it to hit a moving target? But if we go back to the old, the original, the true meaning of tolerant, I would say that Christ was the most tolerant person who ever walked this earth. As far as that he would come upon people that he would be in disagreement with, maybe in, in their life and the things that they would do, and yet he loved them love them to the core. If you use the new terminology, hey, if you disagree with me, uh, you're a hater, uh, then I don't think that, you know, he's not going to line up to that. Time and time again, we see Christ, by his own words, not my words, saying that his ministry was not to bring peace, but actually division. Now, Does that mean that Jesus came because he just wanted to stir things up? No, he said the gospel message, the fact that we in our sin, need a redeemer, need somebody to, to die in our place. He said, that's going to be a, a message that kind of cuts, even cuts families. Have you seen the license tag? House divided, Florida State, Florida, you know, Georgia, Georgia Tech. And, and then they say, okay, we have a house that's divided because she pulls for this football team. I pull for this football team. Jesus said that that's what was going to happen with his ministry, with the gospel message. Look what Jesus himself, this isn't my words, this is the words of Christ. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Does that sound like the Jesus that that we always kind of put out there? I mean, we're talking about, you know, no, we want a Jesus. We just sang about a Jesus that, that frees every chain. But his own words, he said, this gospel message, it's not that he's this you know, this adversary that's out there that is just going in there and trying to divide marriages, divide homes. and divide. That's not what that means. But he said, the very message of the gospel, he said, it's going to bring division. But he said, I'm not going to water it down. I'm not going to back off. It's just so that there can be compromise and that there can be peace among family members. There may be people in your family that you shared the gospel with and and they just say, no, we refuse. I I just think that maybe, you know, it all works out at the end. Maybe if I'm just good enough that God will let me into heaven. Folks, that's not the gospel. And, And so at that point, the gospel divides. It, it takes this blurred line that tries to be created and it begins to divide it out into a clarity of what truly is the gospel message according to the Bible and what is not. John fourteen six. If we look at it by today's standard of tolerable, this is the most intolerable statement that has ever been quoted by mankind. Never has any man ever quoted, uh, has ever said something that would be more intolerable by today's standard of just not wanting to include. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Christ said you, look, this whole coexisting, see, I don't have a problem with coexisting with people that have different beliefs. but But that doesn't go to say, okay, by that, I adhere to, hey, we all have different beliefs, and one day we're all going to get to heaven. We just took different paths to get there. That's not. What, it doesn't line up to a scripture. It's not mean-heartedness. It's truth, folks. Yeah, but, Bobby, that's just your version of truth. Well, it is my version of truth. It was God's version of truth, and I believe with all my heart. A couple of weeks ago, my dad called, and, and uh, his cancer has progressed to the point where... Uh, it was not a good uh, time with the doctor. And uh, we don't know if there's months or, or, or what. And it's very serious. And if somebody came up and said, okay, <laughs> here's a, a drug. here Here's a prescription. Here's something that will cure that cancer. Would it be unloving if they said, but, but I don't want to tell you the truth about that? That would be the most unloving thing you could ever do. You, you have an answer that would really bring a cure to a sickness, to a cancer, and they would withhold it from you? Folks, when we share the truth of Christ with a world that is lost and dying, and and even if it has that particular edge of that Christ is the one and only way, it is not unloving, it is not bigoted, it is not unbiased, it is truth. And as a Christ follower, you and I are commanded, we we are demanded of us to, to be followers of that and not to water it down. Now, having said that, having said that, we are to be loving and respectful in the way that we do that. And that's why I think that there's a lot of error. I think in Christian communities, let's forget the world for a second, okay? Forget talking about the world. We're talking about us as Christian community. I I think there's a lot of error on both sides. I think sometimes in, in this love for the world, we just want to be accepted for the world, so we water down the gospel. Hey, it's just what everybody wants to believe. Or we go to the extreme. We go out there, and and anybody who does not believe the way that we do, we we begin to really be mean spirited and mean hearted in it. Folks, both of those angles are not the mind of Christ. Let me show you the mind of Christ. Remember the story of Christ and the woman at the well. You're talking about tolerable. You know, talk about somebody who who really is is one of those who's. Uh, tolerating something. Christ breaks every social custom of that day. Men did not, they were not seen with women, especially a woman like this. Even his own disciples said, Jesus, do do, do you know who that is? He said, man, I exactly know who she is. And yet he sits down at the well with her. He says, can you draw me some water? They begin to converse back and forth. And Jesus tells the truth about herself. Hey, your husband. And she says, well, I don't really have a husband. And Jesus said, that's true. The, the one with you that you're with right now, that's not your husband, but you've had many husbands before. In other words, Jesus said, I know the truth about yourself. And, folks, he did not see it as being unkind or unloving to tell her the truth about herself. But he doesn't stop there. He said, do you want some water where you will never have to drink again? See, if we just throw a moral code out to the world and we don't tell them about the, the hope of the gospel, we have not done our mission for Christ. At the same time, folks, the most loving thing that we could do to ourselves, to our, to our friends, to this world, is tell the truth about our situation. We have no problem really doing that with our children. Why? Because we really love our children. So even if we send them to the room, put them in timeout or whatever version of kind of correction that you may use in your home, we don't have a problem when it comes to our children. Why? Because we truly do have this love for our kids that was just placed by, there by God. The Christians and non-Christians. I don't think Christians' moms and dads have a one-up on non-Christian moms and dads. Part of being made in the image, being image bearers of God himself is that we just love our kids. And so we'll speak truth in their life. Hey, Johnny, you know, you play those video games every night, and you made three Fs. Guess what, Johnny? We're not playing video games for, until those grades get back up. Hater. Is that what Johnny says back to you? And if he did, what would you say? Well, now we're just going to increase that a little bit. You're going to go, oh, I don't want to be hated, so you just go play your games. Now we love our kids, and we're motivated by that love to go out there and speak truth in their lives. And so we say no to some things. Even it brings a temporary disappointment because we know in the big picture it is better for them. That's what Christ did there at the woman of the well. He tells her the truth about herself, but he also tells her the truth about God's great love for her. You're talking about somebody who was enslaved to their past. I don't know that there's another character that Christ came up against that was more enslaved and chained to her past than the woman at the well. And, folks, when she left that well, she left those chains behind. She goes back, the Scripture tells us, and she tells everybody in the community, man, whether he's the Christ, whether he's this, I don't know. I just know, man, this is my life before and here's my life now. But he didn't do it by playing softball and saying, well, you know, I, I bet you really try hard. That's the lie of tolerance. And when you and I, as we're not talking about the world, we're talking about believers. When you and I desire to be liked and accepted and loved more than we speak truth in love, then we've made tolerance and accepting an idol. We really have. Bible tells us, speak the truth in love. Don't water down the truth, don't water down the love. Time after time we see this. And and yet we have this very compelling message of of Christ. We have this very compelling message where he says, look, I'm going to divide. You you follow me and there will be division. And you find it throughout the Bible. Let's skip over to the the, the very end. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. You know, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, don't be Conform to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then he goes on, and so that we can't say, well, man, he's just trying to you know, get a whole bunch of hate speech going here. Look what Paul says, how they're to carry this out. Romans 12, 9 through 10. Let love be genuine. Don't just go out there and kind of put on a happy face because you represent Christ. I love Jesus, and, 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 and he loves you too. He said, no, let your love be genuine. Really, truly love that person. You can disagree with them, but, but love that person. Let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. And I love this last part. Outdo one another showing honor. Folks, there is no room in, in the Christian life as Christ followers. There is no room for us to water down truth. But there is also no room for us to water down the love part. The challenge, he says, I love this, outdo one another of showing honor. We say that time and time again in the scriptures. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it in gentleness and respect. God has given us the pathway. And it's not to water down truth. But it's to do it also with a complete love, truth and love. In a way, it's really not all that complicated. That's our command. That's as Christ followers. That's the call that He's placed on our life to go out there, and abhor what is evil, not to join in, but but not to be one of these people that carries around a sign. Also, not to really love folks. And I've heard it all my life. Well, we are to hate the sin and love the sinner. I believe that that's true. I just don't think we're really good at doing it in the flesh. I think only the, the Spirit of Christ, I think only with this transformed mind, only when the Spirit of God is so filling our lives and, and we see the love of Christ so much, then we're compelled to love those people. But yet we, we stand for truth. Folks, don't get caught up in catchphrases, even if they're the church's catchphrase, catchphrases. Well, just, you know, hate the sin, love the sinner. I mean, unless you're living it out, don't be throwing that around. Have the mind of Christ. Martin Luther, the the great reformer, said it this way. Peace, if possible, truth at all cost. He was not trying to start a war. He was not trying to, to just agitate leadership, even though... Uh, by starting the Reformation, he pretty much did agitate uh, the Catholic Church and, and the powers that would be religiously at that time. But, but his thought process, I, would, I think, really concurs with biblical evidence. Peace if possible, but never at the cost of truth. And that's our marching orders. We are to represent Christ to the women at the well. We are to represent Christ to those people. Folks, except for the grace of God, except for God's grace being shown to us, that is me. I'm I'm enslaved. But by his mercy, by his grace, by his love, he opened my eyes to the gospel and showed me salvation. And by that, I was set free, and I'm not in slavery anymore. That's the message that we take to the world. Don't shy away from, from speaking truth, but always do it. Make sure that you're doing it in love, doing it with respect, doing it with honor, just as Christ did. He did not water down a word that he said to that woman. He just told her the whole story. Not just the truth about herself, but the truth about a loving God that had a remedy for her and an answer for her. And that's the message that we take to this world. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, God, I understand that it is so easy when, uh, when the chains fall off of our own lives that, that it is easy for us to pick up, Father, a, a very judgmental spirit. We forget the grace by which we've been saved. And so, Father, this morning I, I pray that we really would, in living in this culture, in this day, when, when that buzzword is so about us, uh, and, and thrown everywhere around us, Father, that we would know biblical answers of how to, to truly be a Christ follower and resent, uh, represent you well in this world, Father. Help us to love well, but help us to carry truth well. Father, thank you that you've given us direction. And Father, today I pray that if there are people here that, that truly they, they have just in their own lives, uh, they, they feel kind of enslaved to that past, that today, Father, do you would show them the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the redeeming work of your Son who died on the cross for their sins so that they might have life. So, Father, today, take us out of the slavery, even the slavery of our own culture, the slavery of being kind of idol worshipers, or worshipers of, of being accepted and, and loved, and help us this day to trust you and you alone. We thank you and we love you as we pray all this in Christ's name